It has been a pleasure to be here. I got here on Thursday, and Steve picked me up in Kansas City, and we drove in, and um, he took me past the new property where you guys are going to be building a building in a few years. That is amazing. Like, I love what I'm hearing God is doing here. And, and the, the Beyond Us campaign that you guys celebrated, last Sunday was Celebration Sunday, is that right? Um, exceeded the, the financial goal. Like, your commitment to what God is doing here is absolutely amazing. And so, so I just want to celebrate that. It's been great to get to know Devin and, and uh, his wife and some other people in church. We got together last night, and um, it's just been really good to be here. So thank you for your hospitality. Um, I know that we're, we're in this series called Unto Us, and um, it's all coming out of Isaiah 9-6, which is a prophecy. Many of us know these words. It's a prophecy about Jesus, the coming Messiah. And it says this, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of peace. Today, uh, Devin asked me to just talk on the first two, wonderful and counselor. Now, I'll be honest, for years, I've just lumped those together. Wonderful is the adjective, counselor is the noun. What I discovered in preparation for this morning is that there's some divide among theologians about whether this is two separate titles or one blended title. Um, I'm not going to solve that dilemma for us today. Um, I'm just going to get us to understand those two words. Wonderful at its root means literally full of wonder right? The coming Messiah would be somebody who was full of wonder and cause the world to be full of wonder. And he would be a counselor. He'd be an advocate. He would stand before God on our behalf. And so as I teach today, everything I say is going to revolve around those two things, being filled with wonder and recognizing that Jesus is our advocate before God. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this place, this church, and all that you're doing here. Uh, Thank you for the chance to reunite with my friends and uh, spend a few days catching up. Uh, Lord, pray that you would just continue to use this service this morning as you already have to draw us into your presence. Father, as I stood over there just amazed and in awe and overwhelmed at the chorus of voices, not coming from the stage but coming from the audience, Father, it, it just stirred my soul. Father, thank you for the passion that I see in this church. And passion not to to lift up any one person or even the name of the church, but to lift up the person of Jesus. Father, may we continue that this morning as we study your word. It's in his name we pray. Amen. So uh, don't answer this question out loud. I told you before I work with students. Students tend to answer questions when I ask them, right? Like that's cool, but just not right now. Don't do that, okay? Um, So just think your response to these questions. What stirs your soul? What is it that, that, that just affects you deeply, that, that fills you with wonder and awe and amazement? You know, I, I grew up in central Illinois. I've lived in Illinois pretty much my whole life. If you've been to Illinois, um, we rival Kansas for being flat, except for here. This has been crazy around here. Um, but, you know, Illinois, there's just a lot of cornfields, and it's just flat, and you can see for miles and miles and miles and miles. And some people love it. I hate it. I have been trying to get out of Illinois my whole life, but I married a Chicago girl, and we're kind of stuck, right? Um, But when I go to the mountains, when when I stand on the shore of an ocean, I'm filled with awe. My soul is stirred. Like, I, I connect to God well through creation. God speaks to me, and I sense his presence, and, and I'm just overwhelmed by his, his beauty and his creativity through creation. Raging rivers, standing beside that, and the, the power of a waterfall. And getting up early in the morning to see a sunrise, to, to stay, be outside, and, and pause for a moment to watch the sunset. I, uh, 
Um, I, I used to be a runner. Um, I know I look like a runner, right? Um, I say used to because um, I was running half marathons. even ran a full marathon. I was getting in triathlons. And four years ago, I took middle school students to a winter retreat, and I blew my knee out um, playing this game called Gold Rush. I don't know if you guys play it or not. It's a great game. I'll tell you about it later. Um, but blew my knee out, blow, ACL gone, meniscus gone, cartilage damaged, reconstructive surgery, year of rehab. Do you know what they call injured runners? Cyclists. So I bought a bike, and uh, I started biking, and it discovered this joy for biking. And my buddies bought bikes as well, and we hatched this idea of, hey, let's, let's do a really long ride together. And so just a few months ago, we uh, drove out to Pittsburgh, um, we assembled our bikes, and we rode 350 miles from Pittsburgh to Washington, D.C. Now, don't think that's impressive. We cheated. Uh, we stayed in hotels and bed and breakfast. Like, real men would have camped along the way for eight days, right? Uh-uh. I need a pillow, a bed, a shower, good food, great conversation at night. Like, we just, we cheated. I'm just letting you know that. But one of the, one of the places we stayed in was this historic uh, bed and breakfast in Maryland. And it was up on top of a mountain, and where the trail met the road, we had to get picked up by the owner of the bed and breakfast. It was a 25-minute drive up the hills into the mountains. Mountains, right? Not Colorado, but uh, Maryland. But hills, bigger hills than we have in Illinois. And this beautiful, historic bed and breakfast. And before we went to bed that night, the owner of the bed and breakfast said, if you want to get up early, it's going to cost you some sleep, but if you want to get up early, we have an amazing sunrise. And it's just beautiful. And we'll have coffee brewed. You can grab the coffee and get out. And he showed us where to go. And, and it was kind of overlooking this valley, you know. And so I was like, okay, I can see how this could be beautiful. And so we do. We set our alarms. We get up early. We're sacrificing sleep. We had a 60-mile ride later that day. Um, but we just wanted to see this moment. And so we get our coffee. And, and we go out to this spot, this vista. And I didn't expect to see this. The entire valley was filled with clouds. And it was just the, the, the glow of the sun on the horizon as it was starting to crest. And then we, we sat there for 45 minutes watching the sunrise, the longest I've ever sat and watched the sunrise. I mean, and we just talked as we, as we did. We're all followers of Jesus, all four of the guys on this trip. And so we just sat and talked about the beauty of God's creation and how this moment was unbelievable and drew us into his presence. We talked about uh, the, the, the incredible design of the human body that God has designed us to be able to bicycle 350 miles from Pittsburgh to Washington, D.C. And we thanked God for our wives who let us have eight days to go do this, right? It was just this, this kind of unexpected worship moment that filled us with awe. And it was overwhelming, but it was also time for breakfast. And so we had to like bail on the view and went back into the hotel because breakfast is an organized fair. Everybody comes together in the hotel, eats breakfast at the same time. And so we're sitting there with our coffee and people are just now trickling down out of their rooms to come to breakfast. And I was like, what? What are you doing? You, you missed everything. The whole reason you're here is to see that beautiful sunrise. Like, why would you miss that? And we're telling people about it. And one guy sitting at my table goes, Whatever. Like, you've seen one sunrise, you've seen them all. No big deal. And I was like, what? how can you actually believe that? Like, there is no way. Now, I, I'll give him benefit of the doubt. Maybe sunrises weren't his thing. Maybe sleep was his thing, right? Maybe sunrises never stirred his soul. But other things stir his soul. I, I hope so. I hope he's not just completely numb. But I wonder sometimes if when we come to Christmas... But sometimes we're like that guy. And we're just so used to it. 
It's so normal. It's so commonplace. It happens every year. And we just go, you know what? You've celebrated Christmas once. You've celebrated all you need to do. Nothing new under the sun, right? It's all the same. (laughs) I'll be honest. I've been there. This year, though, I'm not, thankfully. I have my 14-year-old daughter to thank for that. She is like going crazy over Christmas right now. And it's just amazing to watch the joy in her eyes. So that's, that's like affecting me. But there were moments where I was like the department store manager in the movie Elf. Like, you remember that guy, right? Like, here's a guy that, that every year has to get all of his employees to dress up in costumes, decorate the whole place, Santa's coming, deal with the lines and the tickets and all that stuff. Like, it's, he's done. He's done with Christmas. He wants New Year's. He wants to move on. But all of a sudden, he meets Buddy the Elf. Watch this scene. Are you mad at me? No. I'm sure? Yes, I'm sure. Just do your job. Okay. Oh, wow. What's this? This is the North Pole. No, it's not. Yes, it is. No, it's not. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. No, it's not. Where's the snow? Why are you smiling like that? I just like to smile. Smiling's my favorite. Make work your favorite. That's your favorite, okay? Okay. Work is your new favorite. Fine. It's time for the announcement. Okay. Okay, people, tomorrow morning, 10 a.m., Santa's coming to town. Santa! Santa here? I know him. I know him. He'll be here to take pictures with all the children. Yeah. Just keep your receipts. 10 a.m. tomorrow. 10 a.m. tomorrow. Santa's coming to town. Yes. Can you sign this for me? Oh, hi. Oh my goodness, I love that movie. What what if what if we viewed Christmas, if we viewed Jesus like Buddy the Elf? Jesus? He's coming. I know that guy. And when people just looked at us like we were insane. Like, you know what though? I can understand. I can understand how people become the department store manager. I've I've been there, like I said. Like, maybe it's, it's seasonal affective disorder. I mean, that's a thing. Like, the reason they call it winter blues, right? There's a reason, like, all of us start to feel something different when the spring comes and the flowers start to bloom and the grass starts to grow. Maybe it's the, the chaos of the Christmas season. It's all the gifts and the cards and the parties and all of the cookies and the school parties and the travel and going to spend time with those crazy aunts and uncles. And by the way, if you don't know who those crazy aunts and uncles are... You are them, right? Yeah, exactly. You knew the end of that one. Um, but if we're honest, if we're honest, it's pretty easy to lose our sense of wonder around Christmas. It happens every year. It's chaos. Like it's hard to keep the wonder and awe of Christmas. And I think if we're even more honest, I think it's pretty easy at times to lose our sense of wonder about life in general. Some of you are there right now. Relationships are struggling. Marriage is falling apart. Family's falling apart. You got a phone call from the doctor. There's a cancer diagnosis. You don't know what the prognosis is going to be. You've lost your job. You don't know what, how you're going to pay the bills, how you're going to fund everything. And maybe it's just the, the routine of life. I mean, it can be something as simple as doing the same thing every day, right? I mean, you, get, you wake up in the same old bed next to the same old woman. Um, are we recording this? <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't tell them. Don't show this to Karen. Um, same old beautiful woman. Uh, you wake up the same old beautiful woman, right? 
You walk downstairs to the same old kitchen table, grab the same old coffee cup, have the same old coffee, kiss the same old kids goodbye as they go to school, you get in your same old car, you go to the same old job, you sit at your same old desk, you talk to the same old people, you hear the same old jokes from your coworkers, you get in your same old car, you go back home to your same old house, you have the same old dinner that you always have, you do the same old homework with your kid, you go back to bed next to the same old beautiful woman, you turn to your clock, alarm clock on, turn off the same old lamp, and you do the same thing the next day, and the next day, and the next day. And pretty soon you lose your sense of awe and wonder about life in general. Have you ever lost your sense of awe? Have you, have you ever reached a point in life where nothing stirred your soul? Where nothing made you sit back in wonder and amazement? I was there four years ago. And in a way I had never been before. As I mentioned earlier, I'm, I'm a youth pastor. And uh, four years ago, I was 40, hitting my 40th birthday. And I'm working with middle school and high school and college. And I was the only youth pastor on staff. We have two now. But I was the only youth pastor on staff. So everything fell on my shoulders. I, I had to plan everything, teach everything, recruit leaders, plan all the trips, missions trips, uh, summer camps, uh, service projects, lock-ins. I hate lock-ins. Sorry, guys. I hate lock-ins. I don't do them anymore. I got older. After 40, I'm like, done. Uh, 60, 70, 80 hours a week working. And it wasn't just in the office. It was, as a pastor, you get phone calls when your day's off when crises happen, and you have to respond to those at times. And in those, that same period, right around my 40th birthday, I, I lost three father figures in my life. One was uh, my father-in-law. He died in his sleep. I got the phone call uh, while I was on a trip with middle school students. And I had to, like, set that grief aside and pour into the middle school students for another two days before I got home and could go and be with my family. I, I got a call uh, about six months later that uh, my best friend's dad, who I had grown up calling dad, had died. And then a few months after that, my mentor of 18 years, a man that, that really was a father to me, died of pancreatic cancer. And every one of those was in the midst of busy seasons of ministry. And I couldn't abandon the students to grieve those, and so I would just set them aside. And, and if I'm honest, I've never actually gone back and grieved those deaths we had a, a leadership conflict in the church that thankfully didn't spill out into the pews but was behind closed doors. But as a pastor in the church, I was aware of it. And it was difficult to navigate that time in the life of the church. And then one afternoon, I was home. It was my day off. And then the phone rings. And I don't know why I answered it, but it was somebody who didn't call that often. And I thought, okay, I got nothing going on. I'll answer this call. And she was calling to let me know that a 20-year-old in her community had taken his own life. And I didn't know the 20-year-old. I, I just knew her. She was a church member. Her family came to our church. But she was hurting, and her small town was hurting. And she just wanted me to know as a pastor who works with youth and college students because it may spill over into my life. And so I said all the things I was supposed to say. I did all of the things as a pastor that I'm supposed to do in this moment. And I prayed with her, and I hung up the phone. And I didn't say it out loud, but in my head, I'm ashamed to admit, I went, Oh, well, just another one. Going to happen again soon in a couple months. I'll walk alongside another family. Been doing it for years. It'll keep happening. Nothing new under the sun. And thankfully, I was at home, and it was quiet enough that the Holy Spirit's voice rang loud. And he said, Chris, you are not well. You need help. And so I began to reach out to, to fellow pastors 
you know, the pastors don't have pastors. Who do we go to? And so I had to go to pastors of other churches and say, help me navigate this. And I went to professional counselors and just working through all of this stuff. I'd realized that I'd become numb, jaded, and cynical. One of the, the pastors I went to and I talked to him and I just said, I said, am I ever going to feel anything again? Because I don't feel anything. I don't feel joy, happiness, sadness, pain, nothing. Like I'm just blank all the time. People could tell me the most shocking thing in the world. I go, hmm, all right, cool. Somebody could celebrate the birth of a child. I go, hmm, all right, cool. I said, am I ever going to feel anything again? And he recommended a couple books, and, and particularly one author named Paul Tripp. And one of the books he recommended was this book called Awe, um, A-W-E, Awe. And as I read this book, I realized that, that what Paul was writing was true. I had lost my awe of God. God had, had become routine, commonplace, normal, every day. As a pastor, I dealt in God every day. I went to church. I Playing Bible lessons, I taught students, I taught adults, I counseled, I talked about God all the time, I prayed about God, I prayed to God all the time, took students to conferences all the time, we did God stuff all the time. Come home, family, kids, talk about God. God, God, God. It just became commonplace, routine. Every day. I'd lost my awe. The, the, the Bible had become a textbook to dissect rather than the word of God to change my life. And Paul challenged me in that. He said, you have to recognize you have an awe problem, Chris. Awe, as he defined it, is a feeling of reverential respect mixed with fear and wonder. And in his book, he had all of these things that he called awe robbers, things that stole our awe away from us. And he said that, that, we, have to, that we face a constant battle to maintain the awe of God. And we think sometimes that it has to be mountains and oceans and rivers and sunrises and sunsets, but... Paul says, no, you need to see him in the most mundane of moments. Here's a, a quote from his book. I came to see that, that I was wired for awe, that awe of something sits at the bottom of everything I say and do. But I wasn't just wired for awe. I was wired for awe of God. No other awe satisfies the soul. No other awe can give my heart the peace, rest, and security that it seeks. I came to, to see that I needed to trace all of God down to the most mundane of human decisions and activities. And so I began this exercise, I began to, to ask God to open my eyes to him at work in my life. I began to, to see God in the everyday activities of life again. I began to, to read this, not as a textbook, but as a transformational, life-changing word of God. I began to do things that restored awe to my soul I'd been pouring out into people all the time, and so many people for years that I had never taken care of myself. It's, it's like that, that moment on the, the airplane when they say, hey, if the cabin depressurizes, the oxygen mask is going to drop. Put yours on before you take care of anybody else, because if you are not there, you can't take care of anybody else. And, and I had I'd refused to put an oxygen mask on. I, I knew that I needed to, but I had refused. I was pouring out into all the other people, and as a result, I, I let my own soul perish. And I began to pursue activities that would bring life back to my soul, nourishment back to my soul, time with wilderness, time with friends, going to, to movies and books and time with my family. I began to, to spend time remembering all that God had done for me. I, I love Jesus' words in the book of Revelation to the church in Ephesus. He says, remember your first love. And I went back to when I was in college and I was in that dorm room and I gave my life to Christ that moment. And now my life was a whirlwind of chaos 
And I, and I cried out to God that night, is there anything solid, anything that will never change in my life? And in that moment, God brought Hebrews 13 to mind. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I realized that God was that one solid rock that I could stand on. I, I began to remember our, my years in college and our early years in ministry at Fox Valley and the faithfulness of God to my family through all of these decades. And slowly but surely, like ice melting around my heart, my heart began to beat again. You know, if there's one thing that I would want you to take away from today, it's this. Remember the depths of God's love for you displayed through Jesus. I mean, think about the scriptures. The Bible is one continuous story from Genesis to Revelation of God chasing after us. He, he, he creates us in perfect relationship with him. Sin messes that up. We're separated from God, but God doesn't leave us there. He loves us too much to leave us in the muck and the mire and the filth of our lives. And so he sends his son Jesus to die on the cross to, to bring us back into right relationship with God. And in the end of the book, we win. Jesus is coming back, right? Like, like we hold on to that truth. Think about all that Jesus did and think through, this, uh, through the lens of Isaiah as wonderful an advocate. Jesus fulfilled hundreds of prophecies. Throughout the entire Old Testament, there's prophecy after prophecy after prophecy. All find their fulfillment in Jesus. And Mary and Joseph receive angelic visits. Uh, Jesus is born of a virgin. We see shepherds that see choirs of angels. Wise men come and give gifts to, to Jesus. At the age of 12, he's having theological conversations with the spiritual leaders of the day. I'm trying to get 12-year-olds to talk about anything but Fortnite and Snapchat, right? Like, it just, let's be honest. As a rabbi, his teaching was mind-boggling. He would say things like, you have heard it said this, but I say this. You've heard uh, retaliate against your enemies. I say love your enemies and pray for them. I I say give up everything you have to follow me. His teaching was mind-boggling. He had the power to to heal all manner of illness and disease and, and deformity. He brought the dead back to life. He himself rose from the dead. Death had no grip on him. He ascended into heaven, and we know that he's coming back as conquering king. Think about all of these things of Jesus as we look at the baby in the manger. That's the start, not even the start of the story. That's, that's, I don't know where that's at, but it's not the start. It's somewhere in the middle, and it finds its culmination in Jesus coming back as conquering king. Think about the immensity of Jesus. Paul once wrote, in Colossians, these words, and I'm just going to read them, they're not going to be on the screen. Jesus Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He, he made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones and kingdoms, rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else. And he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He's the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he's first in everything. For God, in all his fullness, was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. And yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. And as a result, because of all that Jesus has done for us, he's brought us into God's presence. And Paul writes that you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. As we prepare our hearts for Christmas this year, 
Remember the words of Isaiah. It begins with, the Messiah, Jesus, will be wonderful, full of wonder. He'll be our counselor. He'll be our advocate before God. And let that drive you to awe, drive you to worship. Go back to that night. Think about Mary and Joseph. Scriptures tell us that Mary sat back and pondered all of these things, that she was overwhelmed with what God was doing. Think about the response to the angels. They've been waiting for this for millennium. They, they were so overjoyed with awe and worship. They filled the skies and sang out. Think about the response to the shepherds. They, they left their flocks and they, they ran into Bethlehem to see this baby boy. Think about the wise men. They left their home countries and traveled possibly for years to find the toddler Jesus, to give him gifts that represent Jesus as prophet, priest, and king. Will you allow yourself to be filled with awe and wonder at the birth of Jesus? Will you allow yourself to be overwhelmed by the depth of God's love for you displayed through Jesus? I'm I'm excited to say that my numbness is going away and that I'm starting to feel again. It's been a long journey. And there's these, these moments of reflection as I think about Jesus and what he's done for me that, that lead me to tears. There was a song that my church sang um, just a few weeks ago, and some of you may know it. It's called Tremble. And uh, amazing song. I had the chance to, to hear the original author, writers of the, the song, uh, Mosaic, uh, heard them live in concert. And it was a powerful, I knew the song already, and, and in concert live with the band, it was, it was powerful, but it didn't really stir my soul. But we were at church a few weeks after that, that concert, and um, I was scheduled to come up and, and do like the whole welcome host, glad you're here, welcome to Great Oaks, um, here's what's going on in the life of the church, you know, let's, let's take offering. And our worship band, I didn't know, our worship band had decided to do that song right before I go up on stage, and our worship pastor didn't know, you know, that that song was meaningful to me. We, we sang these words, full band, full volume. It was amazing. Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble. Jesus, Jesus, you silence fear. Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble. Jesus, Jesus. As I sat there and our band sang that song, tears just started to flow. And I'm supposed to go up on stage and talk, and I'm walking onto the stage, and I can't talk. I'm like a blubbering idiot. Like, walk up, I, I, hey, welcome. Uh, glad you're here. Hey, there's some stuff happening in the church. You should probably read the bulletin. Um, <laughs> hey, ushers, can you come take offering? Thanks. I got to go, right? Like, that was literally my moment. That I, mean, I just couldn't talk. And it was just that moment where the Holy Spirit, my heart was open to the Holy Spirit to fill me with awe and wonder at what Jesus had done. And so selfishly, I asked Steve, and I said, can we, can we do that song? And he, he asked Shay to come out, and Benny's going to sing as well. And he said, hey, can you guys do this song? We're going to do it a little differently than how my church did it. We're just going to give you a, a moment of quiet reflection. Christmas is crazy. The busyness of the season is chaos. We don't take enough time to just be still and sit in the presence of God. And so we want to give you this time where Shay's just going to sing this song. We're going to bring lights down. And I want you to... Remember the depth of God's love displayed through Jesus.
Oh